It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by UK editor, John Harrington. Hi, Frankie. And our special guest, Katie Perrier, founder and chair of public affairs consultancy, In-House Communications. Hello, Katie. Hi. Hi there. We have invited Katie onto the show to discuss the future communication strategy at number 10. Katie is very well placed to give her views on this subject, given she has been a political advisor to both Boris Johnson and David Davis, and has also served as director of communications at number 10 under Theresa May. Little did we know, however, when we first invited Katie onto the show, that the week ahead was going to be like no other. On Tuesday, Her Majesty the Queen appointed her 15th Prime Minister, Liz Truss. And on Thursday, the Queen very sadly passed away. Our country is in deep mourning and we are living in a period of history that I doubt any of us will forget. Not least our new Prime Minister, who had to swing into action and deliver Operation London Bridge just two days into her new job. And within hours of her announcing the country's biggest ever government intervention, a 150 billion funded cap on energy bills. So, Katie, it really is the most extraordinary time in both history and politics. How well do you think Liz Truss has performed so far? You know, initially obviously having to respond to the tragic passing of the Queen and taking up her leadership role in the delivery of London Bridge. And then secondly, also the delivery of the new energy bill. What did you think? I think she's done pretty well. She's reflected the nation's loss. She's risen to the occasion. Um, Liz Truss is not the most natural communicator. But what she showed during her leadership contest is that you can improve things, you can get better. And she listened to advice and acted upon it. And so what you saw was someone that um, 
said the right things at the right time, reassured us, reassured her commitment to the new king and her government's commitment to the new king. She reflected the moment, but also realised that you know, it's not often you get to give away £150 billion and not really get recognised for it. It's an unfortunate moment, but she will come back to that moment and she will explain clearly, and she's promised that she will, uh, talk us through how this will be funded, what it will mean for households, what it will mean for businesses. And we kind of know where we stand right now. There is more to come. So I think all in all, she's done a pretty good job. Really interesting what you said about listening and then obviously just improving on the job, as it were. What do you think she's listened to and therefore you've seen an improvement in, in her approach? Well, first of all, Liz Truss has got an amazing sense of humour. She's actually quite funny. Um, she's better in a private audience or a smaller room. Uh, I've had her at an event for 150 people and she's just been brilliant. I've listened to her uh, a few years ago at the Spectator Party. She was a keynote speaker and she brought the house down. And so she can do it. She can engage and she can be really funny. But of course, when the camera's on, when it's high pressure, she can sometimes come across as a bit wooden and a bit robotic because the pressure is really, really high stakes. And so what she's learnt is that to kind of adapt your style, become more relaxed, become more kind of approachable and engaging, uh, less robotic. And the whole my name's Liz, I grew up in this town type pitch, she got down to a really good art by the end of it. She, you know, she nailed it. Um, and that was the help from her advisors. Liz Truss has got a bit of a reputation in the past of not really listening to, to many advisors, to being quite stubborn, knowing what she wants, knowing what she wants to have done. Uh, and so it was quite refreshing to, to hear that she'd, she'd realised that she's not the best. And so she took the advice, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, spent hours and as a result, you know, managed to improve it. That's so interesting also when we think about Theresa May, perhaps, you know, there's been so much positive feedback on her speech about the Queen um, in the House of Commons recently. And just, you know, she, would, she just was a fantastic orator. She delivered that speech, you know, brilliantly and possibly in a way that we didn't see during her tenure as Prime Minister. And I sort of feel like we're in a similar sort of position with Liz Truss, you know, that Actually, wouldn't it have been amazing if we'd seen that, that Theresa May before? You know, I suppose it must be so hard to sometimes just be yourself with that level of pressure on your shoulders. It is. And of course, you have, even within your own Conservative Party, you've got one faction that doesn't very much like you or wants you out, another faction that will like you as long as you promise them X, Y and Z. So you're getting pulled and pushed in every different way possible. So just to stand up and... Remember why you're there, what you're there to do and, you know, people's lives that you want to help uh, and a change you want to deliver for the better um, and kind of being grounded in that should give the confidence to be yourself. But in too many occasions, especially with Theresa May, she would be quite engaging in, in private. Uh, again, great sense of humour. Uh, but the minute the camera went on, it was almost like it was a duty to deliver it as boring and, you know, in monotone voice as possible. Uh, and you couldn't really get her out of that at all. She also had quite deep suspicion of the media. And so she didn't really enjoy those moments. Um, Theresa May had a photographic memory, so she could read off a script and pretty much read it word for word, which I found absolutely fascinating. But it's not great when you want your leader to be authentic uh, and you want them to speak from the heart. Uh, and so uh, in time, uh, Liz Truss will be being told by her advisors to spend more time looking at bullet points, looking up and delivering that bullet point in your own language, uh, the way you would normally say it, the way that you could connect with voters um, rather than reading from a script. Because 
we all know you lose your way in a script, you find it hard to get back. And then you end up being Boris Johnson and talking about Peppa Pig for a minute until you get back to normal. And no one likes that. So it's quite fascinating for us being here with you, Casey, to think about, you know, life behind the scenes at number 10. We obviously have all media trained our key spokespeople, you know, but this is really, as you say, a, a job that kind of you you hope to improve on. You know, what's happening behind the scenes there? Is there lots of rehearsal? Is there lots of kind of going over these speeches or is it is everything just moving at such speed that you really do have to deliver a lot of these things kind of on the hoof? You do, but... Um... The advice and guidance from sensible people would be that anybody that I know, any speaker or orator that I know needs prep. And the ones that think they don't need prep is because they're surrounded by people that tell them, no, you don't need prep, you're fine. You can deliver a speech okay, or you can deliver a speech brilliantly. And that's the difference. And too many people just fall into the trap of, oh, well, it was okay. She didn't do anything wrong. You know, okay, it didn't, you know, it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't amazing. But, you know, we got through it. And you don't really want to settle for going, you know, getting through it time and time and time again. I used to have arguments all the time at number 10. Uh, it would be my prep time that would be ripped out of the diary in place of something else. And I'd go marching down to the private office saying, why on earth are we not prepping for this speech? Why are we not putting the time that's needed? And then we'd come away from the speech and people would say, oh, it was all right, but it was nothing special. And you get a few grumblings on Twitter. And then we become very angry, but thinking we didn't practice our clap lines. We didn't pr practice the pigs to camera that we want to run on 10 o'clock news tonight. We didn't practice what we want them to be saying on social. We didn't do, you know, piece to camera beforehand to warm ourselves up. You know, there are all these things that you would normally prep for if it was a CEO of a FTSE 100 business. This is a prime minister. And yet often you would just wing it from one event to the next. And I, that would always frustrate the hell out of me, really. I can imagine that was really frustrating. Is there is there a prime minister that you've sort of seen before that perhaps has followed that route and been really well rehearsed and really well planned? I don't really know because behind the scenes, um, so much goes on that, you know, from, from the outside, you might think, God, that was really good and that was brilliant. Um, and then behind the scenes, often people say, you have no idea what it took to get that over the line. Uh, Blair was, you know, really hard uh, one to match, really, in terms of that natural ability to have that conversation, engaging conversation. Um, sometimes journalists would say to me, I really want an interview with Therese May. Look, you know, you're not promising me an interview for Therese May. You're, you're gatekeeping her. You're not letting me have access. And then I say, OK, finally, we've got it all signed off. We, you know, we're going to invite you for an interview with Therese May. Oh, God, I've got an interview with Therese May. <laughs> I'm really worried about it now. You know, is it going to flow OK? Is she going to be engaging? Is she going to be quite... You know, um, is she going to feel the silences or am I going to have to do it? And so there was quite a lot of effort that went into just a normal interview where then someone would say afterwards, God, yeah, that went really well. I really enjoyed watching that or listening to that or, you know, reading about that. And I'd sit there chuckling, thinking, you have no idea the hours and hours that went into that one piece to make it go, go really well. So looking forward in terms of you know, we've got to get this uh, the other side of this this period of mourning. And then obviously we're sort of really, I think, probably straight back into parliamentary business. And as you say, really delivering the detail on the new energy bill. What are you sort of expecting to see from Liz Trust in terms of a communication style from, from sort of next week onwards? So what I understand about Liz Trust right now is that she gets the fact that she doesn't have all the time in the world to put the country right she doesn't have all these different things at her disposal. So she's been very, very selective. She's focusing, laser light focus, on the things that matter. The things that matter to the country, uh, the things that are a crucial, you know, breaking point, but also what might get her elected the next time around. 
she has no time at all, really. This next couple of years, uh, unless she does go for an early election, um, uh, next couple of years is going to go by like a flash. Uh, she knows she needs to build a legacy quickly. So I think that um, she's going to, the, the comms attitude will be, we're not going to get engaged in all this other stuff. We're not going to spread ourselves too thinly and then get caught out. We're going to have a, fo- a laser light focus on the stuff that matters. That is a cost of living crisis to millions of people at all different levels of income around the country. That is uh, making sure our hospitals are uh, able to cope with any kind of winter crisis. That is making sure that our school standards, uh, you know, remain where they are and uh, aren't hit by cost pressures or teachers leaving the sector, et cetera, et cetera. So there will be some key things that she will focus on. And I expect and I hope that a lot of the other stuff that kind of got tacked on to various governments previously will be dropped because there's no time for it and there's no need for some of that stuff. Let's just focus on the stuff that matters. So I actually think, and when I speak to some of my clients, you know, leading business community, FTSE 100s, they are cautiously optimistic about a list trust government because they too would like some focus uh, and some clarity. And we didn't really know whether or not one week a Boris Johnson government was pro-business, the next week he was at F-business. We don't, we never really knew where we stood underneath the Boris Johnson government. I think Liz Trust will provide much more clarity and that's a good thing. In terms of strategy then, Liz Trust um, has said she wants less spin and more delivery um, in her comms department, which I, I thought was fascinating. What do you think of this? Is this, is this the right strategy at, at this time? So when I became the first female director of comms at number 10 Downing Street, I had a chat with Theresa May about how she would like me to pitch it. And we came up with the idea that it would be less spin, more delivery. <laughs> so I have to, I hate to tell you this, but I've been here before. Um, I think it's admirable and it's right. Uh, of course, I'd say that because it's the kind of approach I took. But you are consistently pushing against the machine. And the machine will tell you that, you know what, we've got papers to fill. We've got 24-hour news cycles to fill internationally as well as here at home. Uh, we've got social media sites to constantly feel. And if you're not going to feed us with the news or tell us what's going on in government or keep us updated, then we will find our own. Um, and that won't necessarily reflect well, well on you in a good light. So we had a scenario where the grid, the, you know, the grid is still um, alive and well. Thank you, Alistair Campbell, um, uh, where nothing happens unless it's on the grid. And you know, the Theresa May government moved from a David Cameron government where he would fill the grid at least twice a week, maybe three times a week, where Theresa May would only want to fill the grid once a week. And therefore, she would look to the other departments to fill the grid. And after a couple of weeks of not a lot of news, I would go around these departments saying, you know, why aren't you coming forward? Why aren't you doing lots more announcements? Why aren't you, you know, uh, taking control of the news agenda and going with it? And they'd look at me like I was mad saying, that was David Cameron's job. That's what number 10 used to do. And so it took me a while to persuade them that that's not the same thing Theresa May wanted. She didn't want to hog the limelight. Now, Liz Truss is saying something different. She's not saying, I don't want to hog the limelight. She's saying, let's do less, fewer announcements, but do them better. Choose the right things and deliver on them. And make sure you can track them so that you can track your progress on delivery and continually update people on that. So it is slightly different from a Theresa May approach. Um, the one thing I would add, of course, is that you need qualified, you know, talented people to be able to deliver that for you. And again, if you don't do uh, enough to satisfy the the machine, uh, that is that is the lobby. That is kind of uh, the kind of the way that the announcements work. 
then it will feed itself in other ways. So you have to find a middle balance. So I do respect the approach. I think it is the right one, but I'm not saying it's easy. It really isn't. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you think generally the sort of the comms team and the the, the, the comms leaders are, are given enough respect, enough um, enough time among you know other other functions within within government? And is that something you saw change over your your time in in number ten? I think that um, uh, comms is something that if it goes really well, uh, then people will always take the credit. If it goes badly, I would say this one night, if it goes badly, then it's your fault. Uh, and so you uh, you struggle to, to, to make sure that it's always the kind of priority. Um, it's different from different prime ministers. Theresa May would say to me, you know, I don't understand what they want from me. I don't know why um, you want so much from me. I'd sit there and ask her personal questions about, you know, what did you do in the evenings if you're not working? You know, who cooks? What, what is life like in the Theresa and Philip May household? And she really didn't want to answer because she didn't want, feel that the public had a right to know those things. And you could argue, fair enough, you know, maybe the public doesn't have a right to know, but they want to know their prime minister. They don't like the kind of cagey mystery. So they want to engage. And so, um, and of course, you know, Boris Johnson's a very different uh, prime minister whereby you would think he was more approachable and open and yet was fiercely protective of his own private life and so there's lots of speculation around that too so um it really does depend i mean craig oliver had a different relationship where he would able to walk in any kind of meeting that he wanted and david cameron wouldn't bat an eyelid um mine was very much a case of comms is comms uh, we'll call you when we need you type thing uh, and that i found incredibly frustrating um because it always end up in your door and then you say, well, I wasn't in that briefing meeting. I'm terribly sorry. Uh, and, and so uh, that's different. I would also say that um, different comms directors have a different approach. So I had a bit of a girl guide approach to comms, which was at number 10. The way I view things is that you're speaking on behalf of the official office from the prime minister. And so everything you say is fact. And if you get something wrong, you have to correct it. Um, I felt that there was so much briefing that came out of a Boris Johnson number 10 machine that you never really knew what was fact or fiction anymore. And that led journalists to not trust the operation. It led journalists to kind of always have to second guess what was really going on. And I don't think it works. I think that the end result is a confused picture uh, where lots of columnists and opinion writers will, will basically write that they don't know what they're doing. So I hope that Liz Trust goes back to something akin more to a kind of, this is the way that we do things because it's the right way to do it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I was really, um, I was really interested in the fact that under Liz Trust, the comms director role has been split this time. So we got, we got Simon McGee taking on civil service um, and kind of senior media advisor role and Adam Jones running the political side of the operation. Why do you think Liz Trust chose to do this, to split the role? And do you, th do you think that will work? So what we've got is two impressive operators, two people that know Liz Truss well, have worked with her before. Um, I think it only works if you have clear roles and responsibilities. You can't allow a situation where staff, politicians and journalists play you off against each other uh, and almost know how to navigate the system uh, and to work one and not the other. I think that there's clear responsibilities that are needed along the lines of there is a political communicator and there is a civil servant communicator and someone that takes control of the press office, uh, how the civil servants work, uh, how the official office of prime minister will run, uh, including social and other ways of communicating. 
And the other side of things is the political voice, the one that gives that answer that civil servants aren't allowed to give uh, because it's inherently political. And the special advisors that are political, that are appointed by the prime minister, would also feed into. So as long as they divide that relationship, that happened really well under Theresa May with um, Helen Bauer Easton uh, and uh, myself and a couple of other people. Uh, James Slack came on board again. It was very, very clear what his role was versus the political team on operation. And I think that as long as that divide stays and that journalists know what's, you know where that divide is uh, and people don't take advantage of it, it should work fine. What are your thoughts on on the kind of wider government communication service? Do you have any any thoughts on how Liz Trust might um, might maybe look to reform that or to, to to make significant changes? I hope not, because she doesn't. This is the kind of thing that she doesn't have time for. She should leave it to the experts that know what they're doing. The team that run the government communication service now is an excellent one, respected uh, across the board, and they should just be allowed to get on with it. They've been through so many changes, so many reorganisations. A Dominic Cummings style clear out versus, a, oh my God, we don't have anyone to do the work. Let's start hiring again. You know, um, it, it, that kind of stuff, stuff should remain untouched. She should just focus on what she can deliver, deliver and making sure she's got a comms team uh, out there to deliver it in each department. That kind of stuff is, is great if you've got time. She doesn't have the time. She should, t- she should leave it well alone. Right. Interesting. Um, moving on to Labour and, and, and Keir Starmer. I mean, what, what do you make of, um, you know, aside from the period of mourning and so on, um, Labour's communications in, in recent weeks? And what strategy do you think they should adopt from a comms perspective to go up against? Um- hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The new government. So I think that they have to change approach quite considerably. Um, what I've seen of the Labour Party recently, and I would say this because they've stolen some of my cracking team. Uh, so if they carry on doing that, it would be all out war. Um, but um, what I've seen is a more campaigning, uh, more hungry uh, operation whereby they're, they're now starting to do stunts. They're starting to engage. The lobby are getting, you know, getting more out of them. Uh, they, they're showing that they're up for the challenge. And so we've seen some good performances from Keir Starmer in terms of pitch perfect speeches, understanding you know, more about what, you know, what, what he needs to do to land a punch on the Conservative Party. But of course, all of their comms before was very much focused on a Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson that uh, actually has no attention to detail, who doesn't really want to do the job, who uh, uh, you know, doesn't always tell the truth, who um, leaves us hanging on a number of different things that aren't appropriate. They're going to have to really focus their attention on Liz Truss, 
Um, if I was advising Keir Starmer right now, he needs to remind everybody that she was one of the longest serving cabinet ministers. So she cannot re the Conservative Party is brilliant at reinventing itself every time it gets a new leader, um, tries to deny everything that happened previously. I've been part of that before. It's actually quite an impressive machine. Um, Keir Starmer has got to make sure that Liz doesn't do that. She, he needs her to take the blame or the responsibility for any failings that have gone on before and needs to pin them to her. But he needs to pin them to the wider Conservative Party as well uh, in terms of failing their constituents or uh, not backing, uh, not, not you know, having a backbone over uh, the previous leader or anything like that. So um, there's a lot that they can do, but they should be focusing on the whole Conservative Party uh, and a change and not just doing what they did before, which is focus more on Boris Johnson. So Casey, just looking again at the kind of less spin, more delivery strategy, you know, you've obviously talked about the grid and the, the need for, you know, really relevant and consistent communications, which makes absolute sense. For me, it doesn't sound like sort of less spin is about less communications, but more about, you know, deeper, proper policy behind the headlines and less populist headlines just to win public opinion that day. Would you agree? I agree entirely. Um, the government needs to be showing that uh, action. It needs to be showing it's doing stuff. It's delivering on what people want its government to do. Otherwise, it's going to be out on its ear in a couple of years' time. And they know that. And so I believe that this is more about um, chunky policies that they're actually going to do. They are going to deliver. And if you say you're going to be a pro-growth uh, and everything goes out the window um, and, unless it's linked to growth, then you've got to mean it. You've got to show it and you've got to deliver on it. And some of the actions they've done very early on, sacking some high, you know, permanent secretaries at the, at the Treasury, um, you know, really getting the grip on the, the external message, which is I'm not happy with the way the Treasury's run before. I need a new approach. Shows that they mean business. The problem with the Boris Johnson government is that there was too much talk and not a lot of action. Um, and you never got a sense that they had a grip on these things. And so whatever happens next moving forward um, it's got to be led on delivery rather than just the talk. And we need to see the progress that's being made. So, Casey, I recently saw Craig Oliver talking on BBC News about the need for Liz Truss's comms department to shift from campaigning to governance. What do you think of that? I think that's great advice and actually an advice that many previous administrations could have taken well uh, too. I remember it working in Theresa May's government saying to everybody, look, you know, you're great street fighters, you're brilliant at what you do, but let's stop fighting. We don't have to pick a war every day. When you run a government, you actually need people that are willing to offer the hand of friendship that will bring people together, that will get stuff done as a result. If you turn up and you have grief with your civil servants on day one and you start arguing with your backbenchers on day two, you know, by the end of the week, you haven't got many friends left and people don't want to do stuff that they're not friendly with. So um, the system can work against you or it can work with you. And so I think that advice is, is really good. The, leave the campaigning at the door. Leave the bitterness between you and your oppositions at the door. Put out their hand of friendship and say, look, you know, if this Conservative Party does not deliver in the next two years, we're kind of all out of a job. And it's not much fun being in opposition. You can't get stuff done. You can't deliver. And therefore... It's, it's in your best interest and in, in my best interest as the Prime Minister to come together. And so whoever is in her top team uh, and whoever, uh, you know, the Mark Fulbrooks of this world and others, they will be there with knowing that uh, and have the kind of experience 
uh, to be able to to reach out many, many years within the Conservative Party to reach out and, and bring those people together. And Sophie Jarvis is a political secretary. Uh, she will know that very well. So less campaigning, more governing, but also uh, more trying to find a way to get stuff done in a very difficult time. And that's only when you build up trust uh, between you and your colleagues. Uh, it doesn't really work when you're at war with each other. And trust also, I would guess, with the public, because actually seeing the government operate as a team together rather than sort of briefing against each other. I find it so uncomfortable sometimes where we used to obviously see the briefing again, you know, from Boris Johnson against Ricky Sunak and vice versa. I mean, it sort of just had this sense that what's actually happening at the top is just not helpful. Oh, and the public used to think, you know, really? Is this really what I've elected you for? Is this, you know, all the things that are going on in my life, all the things that are happening, you don't understand me and you're wasting precious minutes, which you could be doing to spending on helping out families like mine, instead bickering with each other. And then the public feel that it's a game, that it's a game whereby, you know, the best person, the one that shouts the loudest, the one that's most vicious wins. And that it's a power play amongst rich people that don't really care about how people spend their lives and, and the things that, you know, that, that matter to them most. Um, and it really, really, and, and also it really, really infuriates those backbench MPs that work really hard, um, that do understand their constituents, do know the needs, they live amongst them, they, you know, they see them in the high street, they listen to their, their woes and, and help out with their problems and get very frustrated when they see their representatives at the top of their party having a good old Barney with each other. And, it, you know, I, I, I hope, and, you know, maybe I'm too optimistic, but surely we've learned the lesson. It doesn't work. So people have to do find a different way of operating because otherwise you're just going to get the same. And at some point you're going to get punished at the ballot box for it. So just thinking about what Theresa May said in her fantastic speech about the Queen, she talked about that private audience that she would have being the only meeting that was never briefed out. What is this briefing strategy about? You know, so often you you find out about policy long before it's actually announced. What, why is that strategy there? Why is there so much briefing out? Is, is it a sensible strategy? No, it's a power play. It's a power play for people that want to remain important. And so they love the way that the journalists treat them with that importance because, and that's only gained, and you can only keep that level up of, in terms of your relationship with those journalists if you've got stuff to give them. So you start off in this cycle where you're feeding them a little bit, a little bit more, then you keep on feeding them quite a lot. Before you know it, you've literally got the reputation as one of the worst leakers around the cabinet table and you shouldn't be invited to anything because you can't be trusted. Um, I'll always remember leak inquiries at number 10 being the most pathetic things I've ever taken part in. I used to rock up and say, look, you know, I'm in charge of the grid. Why would I want to leak the grid when literally the leakers are ruining my day? All the hard work that I put in with my team is ruined when someone leaks something that is not being gridded for, a follow- for, for another week or is not due for a couple of days. Why would I do that? Uh, here you go. Here's my phone. Here's all my emails. I hope you're going to go through them rigorously and they give them, flick through them, give them back to me and go, oh, thanks very much for your time. And I'd say this whole performance is ridiculous. When did you last hear about someone that got sacked for leaking? Um, they don't. And that's why people carry on doing it. Um, it's a real power play. It works to a certain extent in terms of some of the people that get jobs off the back of the you know, importance that newspapers and others will, will write up saying, oh, they, you know, they're a really influential player. Um, but internally, we always knew who the leakers were um, and the briefers were. And often they'd come into my office and say, Katie, can you have a quick word? 
I just need to talk you through why that is absolutely not me. And after 10 minutes, I'll be nodding away thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's definitely you, my friend. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so they're not, they're not always that discreet with it either. They are uh, not as good as they think they are. But I think that a government that briefs against each other is a government that is falling apart uh, and uh, can't operate. Uh, you really have to have the trust of your colleagues around the table and you really need to be rowing in the same direction. Um, and you should have the power and have the strength to get rid of people who you know leak and brief against you. But of course, the way the Conservative Party has been in the last few years and the way that it's been so fragmented, it's held together with kind of sticky tape that keeps on kind of peeling off. And that's why sometimes the Prime Minister has no choice but to include the people that are doing the very briefing that you read about all the time. So it's not a great reflection of our democracy, not a great reflection of the power of PM either. You know, it's, it's problematic for sure. It sounds so stressful and so fraud. And, you know, if you think about private sector communication strategies, if you are launching a new product, a new initiative, you know, everybody working on that team would be signed up to a non-disclosure agreement. You know, you'd know that there would be, you know, absolutely really guarding any chance of any leak happening around that strategy because it would potentially affect the reputation of the business, the share price, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore you had a very organized communication strategy. I mean, that just sounds, Casey, like a complete nightmare. Well, you'd, you'd be planning, sitting next to people, knowing that they're about as trustworthy, you know, as far as you could throw them, quite frankly. Uh, and politics is a big game. And I often would be thinking, well, I'm not in it for the game. I'm in, I'm in it because I want to do things on behalf of this government. I used to go around the office saying, we are here to serve. We are in a service industry. We serve our masters, which happens to be the Secretary of State or the Chancellor or the Prime Minister. Um, no one cares what you think unless it is good quality comms advice or political advice. Um, you know, no one expects you to be on Twitter commenting about the day um, sharing loads of photographs of it. You're not a celebrity. You, you know, you are here to deliver a service uh, and to be trusted to do that. But of course, if the principles that they work towards are chief leakers, then of course it's very, very hard to, to, to step away from that or, um, uh, you know, try and keep your principle on the straight and narrow. So often I'd have special advisors that say to me, look, you know, I'm trying, Katie, I'm working really, really hard. But my, you know, the Secretary of State that I work for is one of the biggest leakers in cabinet. And I see it happening. I think it's wrong, but I'm, I'm struggling to stop it. Uh, and that would be, you know, that would be hard. And occasionally the other way around, I'd have a Secretary of State saying, you know, I'm really doing my bit, I'm keeping my head down. Uh, and my spinner, my, my, my special advisor, is one of the biggest leakers going, uh, you know, what do I do about that? Uh, and sometimes we could get rid or move and sometimes we couldn't because politics would be a place. So uh, internal politics. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a messy business. And one of the reasons why I realized I was not cut out for government and I was much better about going back to the private sector was that I operate on trust. I operate on delivery. Um, if I did some of those things that you do at number 10, I'd expect to be fired by my client and I'd expect not to be able to pay my mortgage doesn't quite work like that within number 10. I should say on that is that not everyone operates like that. There are some fantastic civil servants. There's some really good special advisors. They are trustworthy. They are honest and they work ridiculously hard for lower than average market pay. Um, and so I don't want to say they're all bad because they're not by any means. 
It does sound though like a strategy to, to deal with that leaking is a really critical way to rebuild trust in politics. It is. And it's um, it should be that Liz Trust says the people that are in my inner circle is going to be as tight and as close as it can be because these are the people that I can trust. Interestingly, her energy package, the, the finer details of it have not leaked yet. The business package, which is only meant to be six months long, but yet very expensive, has not leaked yet. And, and so that gives me some hope in some way that they are keeping this stuff very, very tight. They're only doing sharing with people they trust and waiting until the actual you know, proper announcements. So in a way, maybe they've learned the lesson of, um, or you know, in a way, if you're a cabinet minister and you're wondering why you're not being included in everything, it's because unfortunately, people that have gone before you have kind of ruined that. And so the circle gets tighter uh, and you have to prove that you can be trusted before you're let in that circle. But hopefully lessons have been learned the hard way. And yes, perhaps the period of mourning will also have impacted that. I mean, this is just not the time for the conversation, really, is it a national conversation about the energy bill? No, um, um, but it's given them some breathing space and just in terms of making sure that they get that announcement right when it does come. Yeah. Um, uh, people say, you know, oh, uh, I guess you thought you were going to be really, really busy and now this has happened. It's awful, tragic scenario in terms of the royal family. But of course, civil servants have not stopped being busy and political advisors have been rushed off their feet because there's a new administration with so much to do. So whilst we might not be hearing from them and whilst they might be respectfully um, uh, observing the mourning period, they'll be working their socks off behind the scenes. Uh, we just won't be seeing it. So just thinking, obviously, this this period of mourning that we're in and, and really kind of back to the royal family, um, King Charles has also been thrust now into a massive communications role um, and, you know, obviously huge act to follow um, from the Queen. How do you think he's performing and, and what advice would you would you give him moving forward? I think he's doing brilliantly. This is not a young man. This is not someone in his 40s that's bouncing around the country, got lots of energy, places to go, people to see. Um, this is a man who is actually in his senior years, to, to be respectful and say, say it nicely, um, someone who uh, has been waiting for this moment to come with dread and horror uh, and yet thrust into the spotlight and everybody was watching his every move. Um, and I feel that getting out of the car to meet people in person, to shake their hands and speak to them was a really lovely touch to show that he's not separated from reality in terms of this man that's grown up with a silver spoon in his mouth, that he does want to connect with the people and understand them from all different walks of life. Um, and, and I think he's doing a really, really good job. Um, uh, and this, this is a moment he's been dreading. Uh, and the moment actually that I used to dread when I was at number 10, um, I constantly used to say to people, you do not want to get this wrong on your watch. You must make sure this goes right. Um, every foreign trip that we went on, Theresa May would take a, a black suit. I would take a black dress just because the moment could come at any time. And we wanted to make sure we were as respectful as possible. Um, and he knows he's only got one chance at getting this right. And the pressure must be intense. Uh, and I think he's doing a really good job. No, I would agree. I mean, I just, uh, watching everything happen, I, uh, times I just felt exhausted for him. You know, at the one level, he's mourning the loss of his mother and then having to go through, you know, quite the volume of um, events that he has to lead. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? I think also, like we've discussed with Liz Truss and Theresa May, where... 
King Charles has really come into his own and, and I think really will be a mark of, of, of his leadership is the fact that he's being himself and, and him being himself will enable him to win that, that relationship and that reputation with the public, I think. But it's interesting at the same time, he's kind of said that he's going to s- step back from giving his views on things. So being himself, but at the same time, purposely not saying what he thinks. So yeah. it's a sort of a dichotomy a di- in a way. I think there's a difference between the constitutional rules around which he can actually sort of, you know, give his voice. But I think the Queen was something of an enigma, wasn't she? She very rarely spoke. You sort of didn't necessarily know how she was feeling. And, and I think, you know, an age of really feeling that empathy and really connecting with him. I, I think it's a different personality that we've got in Charles, you know, um, compared to his mother and a different era, really. I think so. And uh, he's made his views on so many things clear over the years. And what I think he's saying is that there is a job to be done as head of the monarchy that doesn't require me giving out my views every day of the week. Um, and by the way, you know them anyway on the environment and other things. And so uh, actually I have to, uh, you know, I know this role inside out. I've been prepping for it for most of my life. I know what it entails and I'm willing to step up and do it. And that means change. It does not mean that I carry on as normal. And so that's what he's trying to communicate. But, you know, let's not let's not kind of cover it, the whole thing in glory too. Charles has got quite a snappy um personality at times and I don't know if you saw when um, he didn't quite like the pen or something oh my goodness I text I'm on a group chat with my my PR on my old PR team and I texted them and I said oh my goodness you would have thought of every single eventuality but the pens and that is Charles all over you know um he's got a really he really does care he cares about the environment he cares about um people from all walks of life um, he uh, probably would have been accused in the past of overstepping the mark about showing uh, how much he cares and uh, maybe inappropriately meddling. Um, so he actually, he's got a kind heart, but my God, he can be snappy. And, you know, he's not young anymore. And so I just saw that brief kind of like, get the bloody pen away, you know, move it, move it. And this poor, you know, Ecri or whatever it was had to quickly move the pen. And I just saw a slight kind of, well, you know, don't give up being Charles. Uh, we know you've got to be the monarchy. We know you, you, you know, the head of the monarchy. We know that you've got a role to play. But at the same time, you know, you are who you are. And um, I did think we got a little slight glimpse of that during uh, during that moment, um, which which actually made me laugh more than anything. Um, but you know, we'll see. But it's it's an absolutely a relentless schedule that he is embarking on. Um, and uh, it will be extremely tiring to the best of us, let alone someone who is in his 70s who's grieving for his mother. So, um, you know, I take my hat off, really. Thank you, Casey, so much for joining us today. We've so enjoyed today's conversation. There's obviously so much to look ahead to, but you've really helped us think about what might be coming down the line. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Casey. Thank you so much for listening. Um, We look forward to you joining us next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.